if we want to learn how to grow in our ability, not only to understand the Word of God, but to apply it to our everyday life. I don't know about you, but anything I have, any tool I have, any, any knowledge I have, if I can't apply it, it's not really any good for me. And I've got some tools in my shed that uh, I bought, but uh, I'm not sure I know exactly how to use them, so they're not really going to be a great advantage to me. And sometimes we own Bibles and we have the Word of God and we, we got it, but, it was, you know, we're having trouble with it really affecting our everyday life. And so what we're doing is that we're using the one-year Bible. If you, if you haven't uh, got a one-year Bible or on your app, you can go ahead and get that, the one-year Bible, the Tyndale plan. And we're taking Scripture from Sunday to Saturday, and then we're preaching on a portion of it out of the, the one-year Bible. And so just to begin today to kind of set the stage about the Word of God, you know, the Bible is the Word of God, and the Word of God is the Bible. And so in Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible says this. It says, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So it's alive. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible teaches us that all Scripture, every bit of it is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That just kind of sets the stage about what we're dealing with here when we deal with the Word of God. And so today we're going to have some readings out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But before we get into that, just kind of want to give you a little bit cultural background and purpose and setting of of the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. Written by the Apostle Paul, as most of the New Testament was, somewhere around A.D. 49 through 51. And uh, it it was uh, written to a church that was planted in Thessalonica, which is now in modern-day Greece. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he didn't spend a a lot of time there. He went in there, he, he preached the word, people got saved, and a church was born. I mean, it's just so simple, isn't it? He just go there, preach, confront the enemy, and bam. And, but he found out that it's not so simple because then persecution came because some Jewish people had come in and said, no, you're not doing it right. And it just a lot of problems that actually ran him out of Thessalonica. And then later on he sends the, the, the teacher Timothy there to check on how things are going. And Timothy brings back a great report of what's happening there. And the report back uh, said that they were enduring persecution, that they were dealing with some internal things, but they also were kind of messed up around the second coming of Jesus. And, and Paul is going to direct all of that. The purpose of the letter was to encourage them, uh, the new converts in their faith, uh, which they need, to teach them about godly living, communal living, how to live together, and then to address some things about the, the second coming of Christ, the return of Jesus. So... We remember from the last two weeks, and if you, if you missed it, you can jump on our YouTube channel or, you know, on the website, and you can go ahead and catch up on that. But we always want to ask three questions in teaching us how to apply the Bible, and that is, you know, what, what I learn about God, which is really good. You need to know your God. If you don't know the Word, it's very hard to know your God if you don't know the Word of God. And, and then what do I learn about people, especially myself, and then what does God want me to do? And it's amazing when you take those three questions and apply them to your, your Bible reading, your devotions, how things come alive. 
because God wants to accomplish something through his word. And so uh, here we go. You ready to read the scriptures? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, the coming back of Jesus, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, which is mercy. He died for us so that whether we are awake or, or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with all, with them all. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that we can come before your throne of grace to receive help. Especially in time of trouble, Lord, we thank you that you hear us, that you answer us, that you love us. And we pray, God, that as we open this word up today, your word, that, God, you will give us revelation knowledge of who you are, who we are, and what you desire from us, Lord. We thank you for that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. So the first question out of these verses is, what do I learn about God? And, and we just read, you can learn about God that he's a God of mercy. Thank God he is that we've, ex, we've, we've obtained salvation through Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Salvation through Jesus Christ. Mercy. I deserve hell, but he died in my place. My goodness. I've experienced that. Oh, Lord, that's so much mercy. It's just wonderful. You know, mercy and faithfulness because he that has promised you will do it. God is faithful. What he started, he will finish. He's not like us. Sometimes we start things, but we just don't finish them. How about you? Got any projects at the house? Half painted, one leg on the chair. You know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. But what God started, he's going to finish it because he's faithful and he sanctifies us, which means he sets us apart, makes us holy. But also, we're going to learn right now, and the thing that we want to kind of zero in on is that Jesus is coming back. Now, that's a big subject. And you say, well, thank God you're finally going to tell us all about what's going to happen. Well, we're not going to do that. We're just going to tell you that Jesus is coming back. You need about, you need about six weeks of uh, theological seminary type teaching, like five hours every night to get that straight. Maybe one day Pastor Jordan will tell us about that, you know. <laughs> 
But, you know, Paul really, he, he mentions the second coming of Jesus several times in this book right here and in the, in the, the second Thessalonian book, but also in many of the other New Testament books. I tell you, the coming back of Jesus is a big deal. Because this is what happened. Jesus uh, is God, and, and Jesus became a man, and he lived a perfect sinless life. He died a perfect death, was crucified on a cross for our sin, and then he was put in a cold grave, and three days later, he was resurrected from that grave, and then he walked among the earth with people who saw him and heard him. And then he was ascended into heaven. I mean, he went up into heaven. I mean, he was standing like I'm standing now, and all of a sudden, he just was ascended into heaven. As a matter of fact, there's a count of that in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. And the Bible says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven... As he went, behold, two men stood, they stood by them in white robes. I think that was angels. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Up, up, up and away. And then all of a sudden, one day, Jesus is going to split the eastern sky and come back down to earth. And that is a big deal. That's a giant deal. You know what I mean? I, I, I mean, even from the very, very beginning of the church, the people were looking for the coming of Jesus. And it affected the way they lived. And there were scoffers that came. You know, people came and said, where is his coming? Ever since the fathers died, everybody's dying. Jesus is not coming back. He's probably not coming back. And, and Peter addressed that. He said, hey, folks, you got it all wrong. There are going to be scoffers in the last day come. But know this, that with the Lord, a thousand years is like a day and a day like a thousand years. So here we are in our Piddly little 70, 80 years of life expecting God to do what he, well, you got to do it, God. And God says, you know what, hey, uh, a day is like a thousand years with me. I'm living in eternity. My plan is expanding. I've got it all under control. I really do, even if you don't think I have it under control, because you think you can get it under control. And God says, don't worry about that. I'm going to come back when I want to come back. Even the, even the apostles, right when Jesus at the end, he said, Master, Jesus when is the end? Will you tell us? And he said, you don't worry about that. That's in the Father's timing. But you go to Jerusalem and wait because I'm sending the Holy Spirit to you to give you power to live on this earth. And so there it is. And Peter knew what was going on. And all through the New Testament, we see the second coming of Jesus. The reality is this, that because we believe Jesus is coming back, it's going to affect the way we live on this earth, in this earthly body. You understand? If we believe he's coming back and going to judge the living and the dead, then it affects the way we live. And by the way, our past life and our future life affect our present life. I don't exactly like to remember my past life before Christ, but it's there and I can't forget it. You know what I'm talking about? So I take it and use it for what it's worth. 
teaching me that Jesus is merciful and wonderful and forgiving. And then I take the future life of he's coming back to establish his kingdom, which is going to be wonderful because he's not coming back the second time as a suffering savior. He's coming back the second time as a conquering king. Come on now. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's what he's, that's what he's doing. So that's what we learn about, about God. Jesus is coming back, and it affects the way we live. So then what does this scripture teach us about people? What do I learn about people and even about myself? Well, I learned there in verse 14, it says there's three types of people that we, we got to take a look at, and that's what we're going to do right now. And uh, you may find yourself in here. I'm sure you'll find other people in here because we are experts at finding other people in Scripture and not ourselves. So always let the Scripture first deal with you, and then if there's anything left of you, <laughs> you can go ahead and maybe possibly deal with somebody else. But the first person that the Scriptures speak about here, it says that there are idle people, and the idle need to be admonished. The idle need to be admonished. Now, admonished here simply means they need to be warned. They, they need to be cautiously warned. In other words, you just got to kind of bring them alongside and kind of cautiously warn them. Not some big strong thing, but just, you know, there. And uh, to be idle, though, it's very important that we understand what it, what it means. It means, you know, it's got a lot of meaning in this word, but one of the meanings is just a person that is intentionally unemployed. Now, when you read the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is a big deal about working. You can't get out of it, man. He expects people to work. You know, I, I, uh, Thursday, we buried my pastor, uh, Brother Ed. And one thing Brother Ed always was big on was working. He, you had to be enterprising. I mean, you know, I mean, I work with, and a hard worker, I work with him twice, twice, several times, but two times I work with him. I passed out. He, he just worked me right, I mean, I cold, passed out. One time he just drug me up against the brick walls, leaned me up against there, and when I came through, he said, you all right, right? You okay? Get this hole. We got some concrete to spread here. So uh, he understood what the Apostle Paul said that, you know, you need to work. But, but it also means that uh, they're lazy. They're unproductive. And then he even goes further. This word expands that they're disruptive. It actually is a military word that means they're, that person, that other person is actually out of rank. In other words, not walking with the team. Not following the leader. And you, if you've been in the military, you know uh, when that drill sergeant got you out on the parade ground there and you're marching, he always finds the guy that's out of step. And he deals with that, doesn't he? Not only does the guy who is out of step messing with himself, he messes with everybody around him. And so this term is, is what it's talking about. And uh, it, 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 you know, really, it means unruly. It means living without rules. It means like, I don't have to follow the rules. That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with here. And these are words that really and truly, we really don't like to take these words and use them to describe a believer. You know what I'm talking about? No one would like, like to be pointed out and say, you are unruly. 
and you are an idol. You know, the thing about idol, you remember the old saying, uh, an idol mind is the devil's workshop? You know, all these sayings that we say, they all came from a reason. You know, when people who are idle, usually they're getting all kind of mischief. That's why people always want to keep their kids busy. Keep them busy so they don't get in trouble. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so the Apostle Paul is dealing with this. And uh, I think some of you need to ask the question, am I idle? be a good question to ask yourself. Am I idle? Is my motor running, but I'm not going anywhere? Maybe some of you in your life right now, you're like I was when I was about 13. I'd sit in the driveway with the car or the truck, and I'd go all over the world, but the engine never was running. It was idle. So you have to think about that, and you can apply that to your natural life in the world, or you can apply it to your personal Christian life, or you can apply it to your body life. Am I idle? He says, you need to be warned, caution of the consequences of being idle. Then the second type person, he says, you know what? There's the faint-hearted, and they need to be encouraged. Faint-hearted people, really that word means small in soul. It's just a, a faint-hearted person. Uh, the, the people are discouraged. Uh, they're, they're quitters. They want to quit or they never get started. I've been pastoring for over 33 years, and I have seen so many faint-hearted people who quit. Things get tough. Things don't go the way they ought to go. In and out of the church, in life, it just, you know, uh, can I just share something with you? That life is never going to turn out the way you thought it ought to turn out. You have plans of all sorts of what you're going to do, and it doesn't turn out that way. My pastor used to tell me, he'd put me on the side and say, Van, oh, the plans of mice and men often go astray. And it's so true. We got these grandiose plans of how things ought to be in my life, with my wife, with the kids, on my job, in the church, of how it ought to be. And when it doesn't turn that way, sometimes we want to quit. It gets hard. We want to quit. Can I just share something with you? Building a church is hard work, but rewarding work. Building anything worth anything is hard work. Raising kids is hard work. Staying married is hard work. And one brother said amen, and his wife looked at him and said, what do you say? <laughs> he was bold enough to say something. Some of you men were thinking the same thing, but more of you women were saying it louder inside like... And these people need encouragement to press on. Because I'm going to tell you something. You can't quit. You can't stop. You can't go with Jesus for two years and then quit. You can't go with Jesus for eight years and quit. You can't go with Jesus for 40 years and quit. You've got to finish the race all the way to the end. You can't quit. Yeah, you're going to get discouraged. I've been discouraged. How about you? Yes, I have been faint-hearted at times. Absolutely. I'm going to press on. And 
You need encouragement, and I need encouragement. You know, you know it's amazing in First Thessalonians, the, the, the Bible teaches us that we are to encourage one another towards the resurrection. And in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it tells us to encourage one another and build one another up. So if the Bible's teaching us that we need to encourage one another, it's, then it's teaching us that sometimes we're faint-hearted. why it's so important to be together, to stick together. Because the word encouragement, you know what it means? It means it's, it's, it's in the family of words uh, that describe the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. It, it's, it's a coming alongside of somebody. You, you sometimes have to come alongside somebody that they won't quit. Sometimes pastors want to quit. I've had to tell pastors, are you called? Yes, sir, you can't quit. Because the call keeps you from quitting. But if you ain't called, you're going to quit. We've been called, all of us, by Jesus. We can't quit. We need encouragement. We need somebody to console us, somebody to come alongside of us like the Holy Spirit. So the question here uh, is, who can I encourage? Who in this body can I encourage who in my family? Who on the job? Who in the school? Who needs encouragement? And then the second question is simply this. Who will I let encourage me? We might as well just admit we're weak sometimes. Let's just go ahead and do that, man. My goodness, what's all this fake Christianity like we some kind of, you know, iron soldiers and I can do it. You know what I mean? And just admit, you've got a million questions. You wonder about things. Sometimes the devil is on your back, pressing you in spiritual warfare. And we have all kinds of issues. The faint-hearted need to be encouraged. And then the third type person is the weak. And the weak need help. Very simple. Help. They need care. They need to be supported. The weak, those without strength, those who are weak in the faith. You, you, you know, you come into a church and, and we really think that, you know, well, everybody's so strong. <laughs> For a long time, I really, you know, we come out in the world, we came in the church. While I was in the world, I knew everything was messed up there and I was messed up. And Jan, we were all messed up. We come in the church, all of a sudden I thought, well, the church peaked, that I, I changed over. Darkness, light, come on. This is great. <laughs> Everybody's perfect until I got to know people. And I realized they're not perfect. Boy, it doesn't make any sense. But they, they, there are a lot of people who are weak in faith. And all of us at one time or another, we need help. You never know when the time comes that you're weak. You just never know. One season of your life, you're very strong. And the next thing you know, things topple you. And you need help. So the question is this. If somebody is weak in the faith... Because faith is the big deal. If you're weak in the faith, then how, what do, you, what do we do when people are weak in the faith? What, what, what can be done? Because, you know, we want to fix it, right? You come to me and say, Pastor, I'm weak in the faith. I want to have something. That, what can you do other than, hallelujah, let me pray for you. I believe the answer is in Acts 2.42. I'm not going to put it on the screen, but listen to it. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, says this. This is what the believers were doing. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now watch this. I believe this is a guarantee from Scripture. I believe that if we get into this lifestyle, into this mode of adhering to proper doctrine, which, my goodness, it's been laid out, doctrine, in this church in the last two years in a wonderful way. I've learned a bunch. Me, that's right. Yes, of course. And then if you will fellowship that means you've got to get into a ship with a fellow. You understand? You've got to get into life with somebody. Here it's groups. It's what we do. It's what we offer. It's the real deal. It's where you get a friend. It's where you get somebody who encourages you. It's, it's somebody coming alongside of you. You know somebody. They know you. You know them. You're together. And when you get weak, you've got somebody to stand you up. But when you're all alone, if you fall, you've got no one to pick you up. And then the breaking of bread means eating together, which includes also the Lord's Supper, which, by the way, we're doing that uh, until Jesus comes back. That's what he said. It's all tied together. We're doing life together until Jesus comes back. And so the weak person... I'll tell you this, if you'll get into the Word of God, and if you'll devour the Word of God, your life will change. And if you don't, it won't. It's just the way it is. I wish there was a magic way, like, hallelujah, reach your hand here. Come on now. Yeah, I feel the power coming down, and all of a sudden, poof. Devour the Word of God. On your own, the Holy Spirit will teach you through the Word of God. It really, really will. Man, me and Jan, we got Bibles all over the house. Some of them are so written and highlighted and unhighlighted and lined through because we didn't get it right the first time. We had to write another note because that wasn't good. But, but we just kept moving forward in the Word of God. In fellowship. In nine and a half years, I missed four church services. And we were going to church three nights a week, three days a week at least, and then sometimes seven-day meetings, someday 14-day meetings in a row. Seminars that went, you know, till 10 o'clock at night, 50 miles away for five nights in a row, and then all day on Saturday how to teach us, teach us how to take care of our children. You know what? It changed our life. Did it cost? Yes. Was it hard? Of course. But it paid off. Do those things, I'm telling you, you won't be weak in the faith. And even if you are, you'll be in a community that will help you. Hallelujah. That's it. There it is. So the last question is, what does God want me to do? I mean, here it is. I'm, I, I understand I'm going to find out who's idle, faint-hearted. It's me. I'm weak. Maybe I'm all three. Who knows? One thing that God wants us to be is patient. Patient with everybody. How many of you have trouble being patient? All of you. Never mind. Don't raise your hand. You all have trouble with being patient. 
You're having, you, you, you get all upset in the traffic. I got upset yesterday. My wife fussed at me. Man, she tore me up. And, you know, when she's tearing me up, I don't say anything. I'm telling you, don't try to defend yourself, men, when you're wrong. Just be quiet. And when you're quiet, she knows you're wrong and everything's all right because she's right. And so I just shut up. You know, I didn't say a word. You know that's true. Be patient with people. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with God. Move it and groove it and walk slowly over the mountains of life and through the valleys of life and see if God will not come through all the time. Be patient with these people, with yourself, with your God. So what does God want me to do? Is there a sin he wants me to avoid? Is there a truth he wants me to embrace? What, what is there, a command he wants me to obey? What does God want? And uh, in verse 8, uh, we, we read it. I just want to reiterate, we're commanded to be sober-minded. That's the one thing we're going to share with you today, what God wants you to do out of these scriptures, and that is to be sober-minded. Sober-mindedness. You know, we, we, we live in a world that's really strange because it, it's almost like uh, if, if something is not funny, you know, a little TikTok like, oh, look at that little dog there. He got a hat on. Oh, look, he ate a hot dog. Oh, come look at this. Look at this. Somehow or another, if it's not funny, then something's wrong with it. And if it's sober, it's like, oh, you're raining on the parade. Oh, you, you're kind of negative. But here God is saying, be sober-minded. It means to be awake. It means to be alert. It, it, it is like a military term, circumspect. You know, in warfare, a lot of times when you're advancing in a single file in an unknown area, someone has always chosen to be the point man. In law enforcement, when there's something going on, a lot of times there's the point man. You know, that's the guy that's going to be the first to get whatever's coming down. And so he walks very, very circumspectly, very alert, very aware, very sober, very cautious. It's like in Luke 21 where the Bible says, and Jesus said this, watch yourselves that your hearts not be weighed down by the cares of this life and that day, there it is, that day come among you like a trap, the day of the Lord. He said, so we're in this world. Christians, listen to me. We're not of this world, but we're in the world. We're not like the world, but we're in the world. We, we, our citizenship is in heaven, but we need the world. We got to live, right? I, go, I, I got here in a car. I got to eat lunch. I got to sit in a chair. But we're to walk through this world circumspectly, very sober-minded of what is going on, where the enemy is, where the pitfalls of life are. And one of the greatest pitfalls of life for any believer is allowing the cares of this life to outweigh the glory of God that is coming. We've got cares. You've got cares. I've got cares. 
Sometimes they're very heavy cares. Some burdens that people bear are just heavy, heavy burdens. Others are very trivial. Sometimes people who bear heavy burdens get the victory. Sometimes people who have just small things lose the victory. Thursday when we spent time honoring my pastor, I was privileged to speak there and, and we had all three of our children there. Well, they're, they're grown-ups now, like 44, 41, and 38. But it's amazing. They, 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 they were very, very emotional because they grew up in that church and, and they, they found themselves sitting on the second row, which is where we always sat. It would just happen to sit there. And after it was over with, we would drive it home. Jan texted the kids and said, can you just tell me what, what you got out of today? What, what was it like? And, and, and two of them answered in, in this way, basically saying, we're astonished how fast life goes by. And we need to learn not to sweat the small stuff. You'll learn that as you get older. I made 70 years of age this past couple of weeks. And I'm telling you what, I've wasted way, way too much time sweating the small stuff. Way too much time. Eating your life like a cancer. Sweating the small stuff. Worrying about stuff that never comes to pass. We got to quit with the small stuff, right? Circumspectly. Now that takes energy. You've got to be deliberate to do that. You don't walk circumspectly by accident or automatically. I don't know about you, but most of the time I'm walking like just, you know, through life. I mean, you know, but somehow or another, there's a part of me all the time. There's an eye that's cut towards heaven. There's a beacon in my soul that's drawing me day by day stronger and stronger to meet Jesus. And I will say this to you all. I'm not overwhelmingly all tied up in whether Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Because whether he calls me or comes, I'm in Christ. You understand? That's what matters. So, let's finish up with this scripture. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 and 4 through 4. Apostle Paul, the Holy Spirit is, is teaching us to set your mind on the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth. Why? For you have died. Isn't that good? You've died, and because you've died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's security, man. And when Christ, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, that's your life. Your job is not your life. Your wife is not your life. Your kids are not your life. Your money's not your life. This church is not your life. Your life is Jesus. Jesus Christ is your life. When he appears, there it is again, then guess what? You also will appear with him in glory. So what do we do with this? We encourage people. 
We caution people, ourselves included. We support, come alongside each other until we see Jesus appear. We stay sober-minded, minding the things of God more than the things of this world. Because you know what? Your worldly life could end today. And that's not some scare tactic. That's the reality. You know, when I read the obituaries, the first thing I always look at, the very first thing, I look for the age of the person who died. When I was looking for my pastor's obituary, there were just a whole lot of people. The first person, 49 years old. The next person, 52 years old. Several people way younger than I am. And then when I look and I see somebody 73 that died, I do the calculation. If that's me, I have three years left to live. That's not morbid. That's just reality, folks. So we have to get it right. Come on, folks, we've got to get it right. It's got to be real in your life, not just a religious practice. Come on now. We don't go to church to be right. We go to church because we all right. You understand? Now, sometimes we go to church, we get all right. You know what I mean? But you understand what I'm saying. I don't come to church to be a Christian. I come to church because I am a Christian. When we got saved that night, the first question we asked, the first Christian question was, do they teach the Bible at your church? And the guy said, yes. I said, Sunday morning, what time you want us there? Prior to that, church was like, what? What's even in the list of what we would do? Jesus changes everything. Come on, can we bow our heads just for a moment and just close your eyes? Just Let's give God just a moment of time. Don't think about anything else. Just think about your relationship with God. Do you have one? If so, what condition is it in? Are you faint-hearted? Are you unruly? You know, are, are you an idler? You know, are you weak? Are you, been, are you patient? Think about those things. Are you sober-minded? And if you think about this and you ask yourself the question, what's my relationship with God? And you don't feel something, you don't know something, there's, there's no evidence of that in your life then I want to pray with you right now. If you'll open up your heart, Jesus will answer you. It's very, very simple. Just say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe that. And I'm asking you to come and change me. I surrender to you. That's right. You just open your heart up. You just surrender to the Lord. I ask you to change me and make me the person you want me to be. I'm yours forever. Come on, just do that. Just open up your heart right there. And then if you find yourself in one of these categories, I want you to lift up that category. If you're an idler, lift that up before the Lord right now. Man, if you're faint-hearted right now, if you're just a little small soul, if you just, wow, you want to quit, lift that up to the Lord right now. And then if you're weak in the faith, Come on, dedicate your heart to the Lord right now that you're going to grow in faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by a word from God. So, Father, I'm praying, Lord, wherever we find ourselves, even if we're impatient with you and people, 
that God, you would continue to work in us and on us. God, we just saying we're changed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus, and that's what we desire. Help us, Lord. Touch us, Lord. And bless our lives, God, as we serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen.